Podcastle episode 470 for 16th May 2017. The 37 Faces of Tokbathon by Effie Cyberg. Rated PG. Hello, and welcome atop the ramparts of our not-so-humble flying castle. I mean, seriously, a flying castle is pretty ostentatious, you know? There's no point pretending otherwise. But, you know, it's home. I'm your host this week, Associate Editor Matt Dovey, and it's my very great pleasure to present for you The 37 Faces of Tokbathon by Effie Cyberg, a Podcastle original. This story, oh my word, this story, it is so much fun. It's labyrinth and logic riddles by way of Cambodia, and you are going to love it. But I'm going to make you wait, because there's a few points of business I need to remind you of. First up, we will be closed to submissions through June, so we can restock our flying castle with mead and grain, which means you've got a fortnight from today to get your stories in before our short break. Secondly, when we're back in July, we'll be closing out the fourth Escape Artist Flash Fiction Contest with the Podcastle Contest. We're after 500 word stories to be voted on anonymously in our forums, with the top stories being produced here on Podcastle, a real, genuine, honest to the old gods and the new pro publication. There's more details on our forums, with more announcements to come nearer the time, but there's nothing stopping you plucking the finest goose feather now and putting your new quilt to ink and paper in preparation. Okay, you're here for a story, right? Let's give you a story. Effie Cyberg is a fantasy and science fiction writer. Her stories can be found in the Women Destroy Science Fiction special edition of Lightspeed magazine, Galaxy's Edge, Analogue and Fireside Fiction, amongst others. This is her third appearance in Podcastle. Effie lives in San Francisco with her dog Yo-Yo. She likes to make sculpted cakes and bad puns. You can follow her on Twitter at FES or read more of her work at effiecyberg.com. Your narrator today is our glorious co-editor, Jen Albert. Jen is an entomologist, writer, editor, narrator, game player, cosplayer, streamer, reader of all the things and, frankly, have far too many hobbies. Jen somehow became co-editor of her favourite fantasy fiction magazine and podcast. She now wonders if she's still allowed to call it her favourite. She lives in Toronto with her husband and her very large very hairy German Shepherd. And now hush and be quiet. Don't you know it's disrespectful to talk when the faces speak? The 37 Faces of Tok Bathon by Effie Seiberg. I've counted 11,652 tiny soldiers carved in marble relief on the outer walls that ring the temple, though I've only named 17 of them. Each one has a pointed headpiece, a carved cloth samput, and at least one weapon. In preparation for the reason ritual, I must polish them all, Baunupon has said, and I cannot afford to anger him again. He clamps my shoulder from behind, startling me with the pricking pain from his thumbnail on the raw stripes of flesh crossing my back. He walks so quietly on the grass. The head monk pushes his waddled face towards the carvings. You are sloppy, Chenante. 
His breath is stale. It is disrespectful to the faces. You are by far the most useless temple child I've seen. I stay silent and concentrate instead on cleaning Kiri, the soldier in front of me, his spear up in service to the faces. Kiri is surrounded by 127 smaller soldiers, 15 horses, and one mountain. I'm never alone when I have Kiri around. Baunupam moves his head away from the imagined mode of dirt on Kiri's foot. You will clean this entire carving again, today. You will still prepare the flowers and wax for Baun Kemabon before morning. He increases the pressure on my shoulder where his lash had hit only yesterday. I must not cry out, which is what I will do if I think about the pain or the amount of work left to do. I count in my head instead. The 15 horses have 51 visible hooves and 7 spiked rondels. Baunupam turns away, patting silently on bare feet as he turns onto the stone steps that lead from the carved walls up to the temple. The sun is already only one fist's height away from the horizon. Only a few hours left until nightfall, and re-cleaning the wall will take longer. The flower preparation is also a lengthy task. I suspect Baunupam would not hesitate to reopen my back. When I first came to Temple Tokbathon, I told Baunvichek, the nicest of the monks, about the names and stories I'd made up for the soldiers. Kiri was Kiri because he was tall like a mountain, and next to him stood Kothal the Clever because he had tricked the demon next to him into backing into a corner. And this one was Sapoya because he had a friendly smile. Baunvichek said that the temple child of all people must not be illogical and upset the balance of truth and lies and stop slipping me extra pieces of mango at festivals. Baunvichek and Baunkemabon walk out of the temple, arms full of bottles of saffron for the candles used in the reason ritual. As they pass me, they too give disapproving looks. Heard from Baun Upam, she tried to run away again, mutters Baunkemabon, crinkling his forehead. He shakes his head as he mutters something else to Baunvichek, and they walk across the grass to the candle-making workshop in the monk's quarters. My back flares in pain, and I attack Kiri's foot with a vigor. Hello, Kiri, I imagine myself saying. Hello, there. I pretend he says back. How are you today? I'm well. I'm going to pick flowers and help my mother make dinner. Would you like to join us? I would love to join. Will I be able to fit in your house? I'm big as a mountain, you know. Why, that's true, Kiri. But we can eat outside in the garden. It has a pond with fish and lotus flowers. How lovely. I will be delighted to join you for dinner. What will we eat? Fish amok, served in coconut shells, and mango for dessert. We always have dessert at my house. Why, thank you, Chanante. What a wonderful friend you are. You must be very helpful to your mother to make such delicious food. In the moonlight, Temple Tokbathon's speckled gray stones behind marble walls darken to hide their splotches of moss and lichen, and eventually hide the 37 enormous carved faces themselves in the black shadows. In the moonlight, you can hear the grasshoppers zzz, zzz, and the birds chortle in response. It is peaceful. You cannot hear Baunupam or Baunkemabon. 
In the moonlight, the colors all soften with a dark blue wash, and the frangipani trees bearing the white flowers with yellow centers look exactly like the frangipani trees bearing the white flowers with pink and yellow centers. Only the yellow-centered frangipani will do for the candles for the reason ritual. It had taken me all day to reclean the wall. I had not considered the light. My back will be cut into little wet pieces worse than yesterday. I gulped down a sob. I have already failed. But no, there must be a light in the candle workshop at night. A spare candle at least. I can fix this. I'll pick extra flowers from more trees and pick out the right ones when I'm applying the wax. It is one thing to anger Baunu Palm, but there were rumors that Baun Kemavan had killed the previous temple child. If I finish before dawn, he will not know of my mistake. Frangipani flowers smell lush, their fragrance tumbling out of them to drop onto your face with a warm and curling hello. I climb the trees with my basket and pick and pick and pick, cramming the basket full. The quiet is calming and I lose count. Hello, Chinante. Hello, Sepoya. How are you today? I am well. How are you? Today, I'm the princess of flowers. The frangipani flowers make me magic. You must be very powerful and important. I am. If I smell them, I get strong as an elephant. If I drink them in a tea, I get fast as a tiger. If I eat them, I can fly like a sparrow hawk. I can do anything. That is very frightening. You must not be frightened. I'm a kind princess of flowers. Let's be friends. I wake up with a start at the full-throated cry of a distant bird. It's almost dawn. I peel myself up from the branch where I've fallen asleep. The frangipani bark has made indentations on my cheek. The first hints of light are already misting the sky behind the temple. I had not meant to fall asleep. Panic. I grab my basket and run as fast as I can to the candle workshop, trying desperately to avoid dropping flowers along the way. The room is still empty, though the ever-rising sun teases with threatening rays through the window. I drop the basket of flowers on the table and find the small pot of deep orange saffron wax that they had mixed up yesterday. Baun Kemaban keeps his workshop neat and clean. There are no dribbles of wax to be seen, no spilled dusting of saffron. I do not know how the previous temple child offended him. Perhaps he spilled the saffron, but I work too carefully for that. Baun Kemaban rises early. He must be here at any moment. I take the spool of wick thread and work as fast as I can in the dim light. Knot at the bottom, dab of saffron wax. Thread on a frangipani flower and repeat until there's a string of strong fragrance ready to be the core of the candle. Cap it off with an extra dab of wax. Tie the string to hang onto the cylindrical candle mold. Repeat. Tomorrow, no, today, Baun Kemabon will pour the lighter saffron wax into the mold around the petals and snip off the excess wick. I must string 275 flowers before he arrives. The light grows as I work. Between the flickering candle under the pot of wax and the traitorous sun which continues its relentless rise into the sky, I keep count as my fingers fly. 181, 182, 183. And then as the workshop brightens, I see it. I had forgotten about the color. Every single frangipani flower in my basket has a pink-tinged center, winking its sickly eye at my misfortune. The finished strings hide the floral centers with wax, but those are probably pink too. There is no time to pick more. 
Fat tears flow down, and I angle them so they won't drip into the saffron. Putting the wrong flowers in the candles is worse than merely making a mess. I will be lashed for sure, if not killed. Hello, Kothal the Clever. Hello, Tenante, my friend. How are you today? I'm scared. What are you doing in the candle workshop away from your marble wall? I came to help you. Everything is ruined. I won't have the flowers ready in time for Bound Kemon and... and... Don't worry, Chenande. Nobody can tell the color of the flowers center once they're on the wick. You can only see the edges of the petals. Bound Kemon need never know. You really are clever, Kothal. As Princess of the Flowers, I will give you a kiss as a reward. My hands haven't stopped their frantic work. By the time Bound Kemabon comes in, there are 55 finished strings of flowers, each hiding their pink secret, and I am sweeping the floor. I am not permitted in during the reason ritual, but I peek in anyway. Baunupam goes to each face, one at a time, folding a golden orange cloth at its base and lighting incense. And at the face chosen for the particular ritual, he also lights the 55 saffron and fringe of honey candles. The monks kneel, chant, pray, and then he asks the question. They write down each face's answer. Afterwards, they seclude themselves away to debate the meanings of the answer and whether it's true or false. I have been sent to clean away the spent incense and sweep away any ash or wax drippings from the floor. If the burning candles had exposed the pink fringe of honey centers during the ritual, I would have already borne the consequences. I am hopeful. My bare feet pad along the stone floors. They have polished paths running through them, smoothed by centuries of monks' feet. I have my little broom made of wood and rushes, and a dustpan and a small bucket hooked on the belt of my orange cloth sandput to hold the dust and ash. I pass the room of reason, where the monks are now debating. Each face must have a truth pattern, they say. Their sacred duty is to unlock it. They must first determine if an answer is true or false. Not easy, since the answers are sometimes vague or strange. In olden times, there were only two faces. One always told the truth, and one always lied. But the monks abused the faces, forcing them to make predictions for their own benefit. So the faces split from two into thirty-seven, each with its own pattern of truths and lies. One might alternate. One might only tell truths after five other faces tell truths at the same time. Nobody knew. I once asked what would happen if the monks figured out enough of the pattern to get a lot of truthful answers. How they would prevent other monks from doing the same bad thing again so the faces wouldn't send their army of soldiers against the heretic people again. I do not talk about the faces to the monks anymore. They just call me illogical and beat me. My cleaning path winds through the corners and stairs and crooked walkways and around every turn hides another face. Some have the sun shining directly on them, and some are hidden in alcoves inside. Thirty-seven altars to clean is not bad at all, and the empty temple is cool and welcoming and smells of saffron and frangipani. With the last flickering flame about to gut out, it looks like the candles have all held their secret tight. I will be left alone until they finish their day's deliberations. I feel a bubble of glee rise inside my chest. Everything is silent and empty. I rest my broom on the wall next to one of the few indoor faces, the one with the candles. On impulse, I yell out into the empty corridor. Yeah! 
I immediately clap my hand over my mouth. What was I thinking? The sound echoes through the halls and goes quiet. I wait. Everything is still. Nobody comes to yell at me. I really am alone. I let out a slow exhale, then grin. Hello, Kiri. I say out loud into the quiet, giving a courtesy to the empty space next to me. You look well today. Who is Kiri? The deep voice, dusty and gravelly, makes me jump. I look down both sides of the hallway in panic, but there's nobody there. Who's there? My heart beats hard, ready to crack my ribcage. It is I. From the corner of my eye, I think I see a stone face move, but that cannot be. The faces don't talk to anybody but the monks, and then only during the reason ritual. It looks the same as it always has. The chin juts out of the wall, about where Baonupam's head would reach. With the top of the forehead curving back, another Baonupam length up to tuck into its intricate carved headdress. It's one of the nicer faces, with crinkles around the pupilless eyes, and its thick lips in a peaceful smile. The same peaceful smile it's always had. It blinks, and I jump back. My heart is beating faster now, like a trapped bird in a frenzy trying to free itself. Do I say something? Should I apologize, grovel, pray? My mouth is too dry for any of these things. Do not be afraid. The enormous lips move as though they were human, stretching the stone as they curve around the words. The seams between the stone bricks pull like dough, then snap back. I cannot bite you. How could I reach? Would you bite me if you could? I asked before I stopped to think. Such sacrilege. Only the monks must ask the questions. Only they must hear the answers. And all the questions and answers are carefully thought through and discussed to figure out the pattern. Have I thrown off the pattern with this question? I struggle to gulp, though my throat is still too dry. It's two. Two questions I've asked. I'd asked who'd spoken, too. It was meant to be a joke. I suppose I'm out of practice. The face smiles again, and the stone crinkles around its eyes deepen. Who is Kiri? I put one bare foot on top of the other and look down. I can't not answer a question from the face. That would be worse, right? I will just have to remember the entire conversation and tell the monks word for word. Kiri is the name I gave to one of the carved soldiers outside. I pretend he's my friend. I feel stupid as I say it, and my face grows hot. Have you given me a name too? The voice is so low and rumbly, I can almost feel it in my feet. Surely one of the monks will show up any second now and discover what I'd done. Um, no, I only gave names to some of the soldiers. I should like to have a name. I've forgotten mine. Should I be Kiri too? You can't be Kiri. Kiri is already Kiri. I jerk my head up and clap my hand on my mouth as soon as the words come out. What am I thinking to deny a request from a face? Uh, you could be Kabaya. It means deity. Or you could be Emeriape, which means great power. Names should have a meaning. The face gives a small, solemn nod, not disturbing the stone bricks surrounding it. I see. What is your name?
I'm Tanenthe. It means moon-faced girl. It's not an important name like Kabaya. I feel my cheeks growing even hotter, and I lower my face again. I think that Kabaya would not be a fun name. It would be very lonely to be a deity. I kneel and sit on my feet so the soles don't point at the face. It's lonely being the temple child, too, but loneliness is not that bad. At least loneliness means people are leaving you alone and not beating you. Anyway, you are a deity. The face laughs, rumbles rolling through the stone and up my entire body. I can see its teeth and tongue. Please, I hope let none of the monks come in and see this. Please let them stay in their room and debate and argue and not notice that their disappointing temple child was chatting with one of the sacred faces. I suppose someone like you could consider me a deity, but it doesn't make it any less lonely. And it is no reason for a lonely name. I would like a different name. How can you be lonely? I blurt out. There are 36 other faces like you, in the same temple. The stone eyebrows knit together. There are, but I can hear none other of my kind. I guess they're asleep? I think you only wake up with the candles to talk to the monks. The face takes a deep, appreciative sniff, its stone nostrils flaring. Yes, the candles, they unfog the mind, expand the awareness. These are better than the usual ones. It pauses. Perhaps you could... But its voice fades away and its features freeze into its normal expression. I wait for it to move again. It doesn't. Um, face? It remains still, and I see that the last of the candles has finally flickered out. Later that afternoon, I help bound Vichek, the kindest of the monks in the kitchen, wrapping the leftover rice cakes in banana leaves to store for later. He is not as clean as bound Kemabon, and there are clouds of rice flour everywhere. If I tell the monks about the different kinds of flowers in the candles, they'll think I'm useful. And if I can prove to them that it makes the faces talk, they'll think I'm logical. Bam Vichek, I'm careful not to drop my rhythm of slapping flour on the cake so they don't stick to the banana leaves. What if, I mean, maybe, there were a different way to ask the faces questions? A way which they could talk more? He looks up from where he is stitching banana leaves together. Why should the faces talk any differently, just for our benefit? It is our work to solve their riddle, not their work to bend to our weak logic. His silver needle flashes in and out of the leaves. Bound Vichek, for all that he runs the kitchen, is skinny. His pinched face looks like an old woman, and now he purses his lips together, making them look as crinkled as the banana leaves when they dry. I push on. I mean, what if there was something we could do to make the faces happier? And to help them think more clearly, too, so they can speak in a way that's easier to understand. His needle stops. Temple child, I will not hear any more illogical nonsense out of you today. You must learn to keep your mouth shut. But I... You are here to clean, to help, to work. No more. Now get back to it. I had not stopped flowering the cakes while we talked. I made extra sure of that. I finished 32 already. That's not useless at all. And now it's 33. And 34. Hello, Sepoya. Hello, Chinanthe. How are you today? 
Today, I'm the greatest baker in the land. Kings and emperors from all around come to taste my rice cakes. The best way to flour cakes quickly is to cup the flour in your hands. You then pat it on the sides of the cake as you turn them. That is very clever, Chinanthe. You are smart as well as fast, my friend. I figured out how to make the faces talk more, but I don't know how to tell anybody. They think I'm useless. Well, we know you're not useless. If they won't listen, they're the useless ones. You're right, Sapoya. They're so useless, they're using the wrong type of frangipani. As the greatest baker in the land, what will you do? I'll ride an elephant through town, throwing these extra cakes to nice people who will appreciate them more than these monks. Bound Vichek might be the nicest of monks, but he is not a very important monk. As the head monk, it is Baun Upam who would most appreciate the secret of the flowers. But it is Baun Upam who has left the fresh scars on my back. I do not like his rooms. He keeps scrolls upon scrolls of notes about everything in the temple, from how much flour we use each month to schedules of how often the monks go to beg for charity. I'm certain there's a scroll on me and my faults. I stand in the doorway silently with my head bowed. He looks up anyway. When you're as quiet as Baunupam, I guess you hear every little sound. What do you want, Chinante? His voice is flat, and he looks back down at the wooden desk where he's painting numbers on a scroll. I doubt you have already finished cleaning the storeroom. I... I had planned what I was going to say, but my mind has gone blank. How do I say this in a way that doesn't make him upset? He gets upset so easily. I put one bare foot on top of the other and twine my hands behind my back. I heard the face speak. I blurt out. With this, he puts down his brush. You what? His eyes become snake slits, and he gives me the coldest glare I have ever felt. I try to duck it and look down at my feet. I was just talking to myself after the reason ritual when I was cleaning, and it answered. I burbled. It was an accident. You have profaned the temple, angered the face, and have ruined centuries of our work. He could pierce me with his gaze, stab me through the heart, and skewer me to the stone door frame. He stands up. I try to gulp, but my mouth has gone dry again, and my tongue is sticking to the back of my throat. He has a terrible look on his face when he walks towards me. I shrink towards the wall. We have never killed a temple child before. My breath catches in my throat. They had, though. The one before me. Not intentionally, and we will not begin today. But the lesson must be taught. I wish he had killed me. I don't know if that is logical, but it is true. When I wake up, I am in my own cot. The last thing I remember was Baun Upam's fist slamming into my stomach. I groan. My stomach and chest feel as though everything inside has been kneaded like dough and crammed back in. And my hip feels like it's in the wrong place. My right arm is too painful to move. It's been bound tightly in a dull brown cloth from my elbow to my wrist. When I poke at it with my left hand, I feel a stiff piece of material probably wood that's been bound alongside it. It must be broken. My face aches, and when I prod it gently, I yelp in pain. It's puffy, and one of my eyes is nearly swollen shut. 
I try to imagine how Kiri or Kothal the Clever or Sapoya would come in and comfort me, but the pain is so great I cannot focus on the idea of friends. There are 445 stones in the walls and ceiling of my room. I cannot count anything else from the bed. I close my eyes and let the tears leak out, careful not to sob and jostle my throbbing ribs. It takes me over a moon to heal enough to go back to my full set of chores. There is no point in trying to talk to another monk about the face or the flowers. Baonupam has told everyone of my transgression. There is no point in trying to get the monks to leave me alone. They check on me every few minutes. There is no point in trying to run away again. I have been caught every time I've tried, when in better physical condition. Everything is terrible, and I don't know what to do. But I can make candles and ask the face what to do. For weeks, I save every drip of wax I clean up around the temple and the monks' quarters. Once I have enough wax, I wait. When we prepare for the next reason ritual, I am so slow in the candle workshop that Bound Chemabon tells me in disgust that I have until dawn to finish and leaves in a huff. I have been slow anyway with my arms still stiff, but I have made sure to be extra slow today. As soon as the moon is up, I limp out to the frangipani orchard, to the tree I had marked the day before. I cannot use the broom as a crutch to climb, and it is difficult to get to even the lowest branches. Every movement jars my hip or my arm, and I need to stop several times to rest and let the pain fade. It is worth it, though. I only need a few pink-centered flowers. Back at the candle workshop, I assemble them on a saffron-scented wick. Bound Chemabon will not miss the amount of strongly-scented saffron wax it takes to make a single wick. I feel bad for stealing. The filler wax, at least, I have not stolen. I have seen Bound Chemabon pour the filler wax into the molds around the flower-laden wicks, but I have never done it myself. I take the collected beads and splashes of wax scraped from wooden tables and stone floors and brick windowsills over several months and melt them in a small cauldron. The liquid wax is dirty and dark. I did not think to clean each drop. I hope it still works. I am clumsy and my new candle is ugly, but it stands upright as it should and contains the right number of pink-centered frangipani flowers with saffron wax. Hello, Kothal the Clever. Hello, Janante. How are you today? I'm well. Look what I made. I'm so proud of you. You're quite clever, too. The candle is tucked into my sandpot beneath my belt. The folds of the orange cloth disguise its shape. After the reason ritual, I take it to the same face I had talked to last time. Who knows if this ritual's chosen face will be as kind. I light the wick and settle down to a kneeling position, careful to hide the soles of my feet. The movement tugs at my ribs and hip unpleasantly. I wait a few moments for the pain to go away and for the smells of the frangipani and saffron to fill the air. Hello? I say nervous. I have planned out what to say. Hello, Chinande. The face's lips stretch into a smile. Should I say something about my injuries? Would it even care? It, is it all right if I ask you some questions? Not the official kind of questions, just regular ones? The smile disappears. If you must. I shift on my knees to reduce the strain on my hip. The stone floor is suddenly hard on my shins. 
I'd wanted to ask what I should do, if I should try to run away when I heal, or how I could get the monks to leave me alone, but it doesn't sound like the face is in a helpful mood. I don't want to anger it, too. I come up with another question to ask instead. Um, why do you give the monks answers that are hard for them to understand? Is it because of the types of flowers in the candles? Even if they use these better candles, the answers they get are the answers they want. Is that all? My mouth is dry again. The face doesn't look as kind as it did last time. Um, n no. I swallow. You said you were lonely. Do you want to talk to the other faces? The face's expression softens and it smiles again. Company would be nice, yes. Although it is quite peaceful without the others. We tend to argue. Despite what your monks might say, truth is rather subjective. I don't know what subjective means, but I'm afraid to ask. The face continues. I do appreciate company that does not badger me for the secrets of the universe. Otherwise, it is not a very satisfying relationship. Very one-sided. I do not like your monks. The monks are still locked in their debate room. I don't like them either, I whisper. They think I'm useless. That is foolish. No person is useless. They are very narrow-minded. I let out a little giggle, which hurts my side. The face gives me a wink. They also think I'm illogical, I confide. The face snorts through its large stone nostrils. They would, wouldn't they? It closes its eyes and takes a deep breath. That is precisely the problem, you know. The logic. They believe it's the answer to everything. It's... It isn't? Of course not. The truest search is the search for wisdom and understanding, yes. But logic is only one part of that. They're missing the... I don't know if your language has the right word for it. The humanity, I suppose. I giggle again. <laughs> but you're not human at all. The stone crinkles deepen at the corners of its eyes. Not like that. More like... It's more than just facts about what is and isn't true. There are things that are driven by love, compassion, friendship, morality, and they are just as important. I nod, but I don't completely understand. If one farmer's mango tree drops fruit onto another farmer's land, who do you think owns those mangoes? Um, the first farmer, because they own the fruit from their tree. Or maybe the second one, because they own the fruit on their land? I hang my head, feeling like I've disappointed the face. I don't know. There is no truly logical answer to that question. The outcome will be determined based on the relationship between the farmers, the compassion they have for each other's circumstance, and more. Oh. I still don't quite understand, and I shift on the stone floor. Or this. Today, you offered to help me talk to the other faces, asking if I was lonely. Logically, you should not have done so, as it looks like you were quite badly beaten the last time you disobeyed. 
but it was still the right thing for you to do because you placed a higher value on being kind than on your own safety. That humanity plus logic, that's what gets to wisdom. The true understanding that your monks seek and will not find. It smiles again. And you are perhaps a little lonely too. I blush and nod. The face is kind, I realize, and the way its eyes crinkle reminds me of my mother's eyes when she laughed. You still have not given me a name. I think for a moment. How about Safanth? It means friend. That will do nicely. Now we must be introduced. Hello, Safanth. Hello, Chananthe. How are you today? It takes me even longer than before to gather enough wax to talk to Zephanth again, after I'd cleaned so thoroughly to make the previous candle. I have started to collect only pink-centered frangipani flowers for Ban Kamabon's candles and making sure nobody notices, so the other faces get the same benefit. Before I have enough wax for my own candle, it is already Zephanth's turn in the reason ritual again. I hide in the hall again, would the face tell the monks about me? Even if we are now friends, it might let something slip. The light coming into the corridor slowly grows as each of the fifty-five saffron and frangipani flowers are lit, and monks chant and pray. Oh, great face. Baunupam's voice floats in. Our most sincere apologies for the horrific transgression of our temple child. We have punished her accordingly. I know. I can hear the faint scritch-scritch of a brush on a scroll. Another monk is writing this down. A pause. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Oh, great face, you are all knowing. Our question is... And I don't like it. Chante is a good girl, much nicer than you lot. Is this part of the truth pattern? whispered Ban Kamaban. We know the wretched temple child isn't good. Of course she is, boomed Safanth. She is the only one who has ever asked what I wanted. A question, not just for her own benefit. My cheeks get warm, and I smile only until I remember that once the candles are out, I will surely be punished for this. The monks cannot be happy. In fact continued the face. I will only speak to her from now on, and I will make sure the other faces do the same. How can we judge if this is true? Bound Kamibon's voice comes out in a sputtering whisper. The phrase, from now on, implies infinite time, meaning we can never know if this is true. The temple child is an immortal, therefore the statement is false, comes Bound Vichek's whisper. Unless the face never speaks again after the temple child's demise. We necessarily cannot prove the sentence true, only false, if the face speaks to anyone else again. Its current truth value is indeterminate, replies Ban Kemabon. Be quiet, you fools, hisses Baunupam. This is ridiculous, says Savanth. Chananthe, can you hear me? Come here, please. Its voice, his voice? Her voice, I realize I don't know, rumbles, and I can feel the vibrations through my bare feet. I poke my head out from the corridor. 
The monks are clustered near Seventh, prostrated on the ground and glaring furiously at me. I shuffle in and kneel as well. Ah, thank you, Chenanthe, my friend. No need to do that. How are you today? I get up shakily. I'm well, Sav- I almost say its name. I am well, O oh great face. Thank you for asking. I thought I told you to call me Savanth. It grins. And how is Kiri? What is this nonsense? Baunupam stands up as he yells. Temple child, what have you done? Does your desecration know no bounds? Chananthe, please tell your silly yelling monk that if he does not shut up, I won't answer any more questions. Safanth winks at me. I cannot disobey an order from a face, and I try to swallow my smile. Baunupam, the great face has told me to tell you, if you do not shut up, it will not answer any more questions. The monk's face turns purple, but he stays silent. After all, it is not my insolence. I was very careful to use Safan's exact words. Chananthe, you may also tell the monks that if I find out that you've been mistreated in any way, I and the other faces won't answer any more questions. I clear my throat. Um, the great face has told me. We heard it, snaps Ban Kemabon. Not that it can control the other faces in any way. They're isolated for a reason. This is not so, says Seventh. Now that Chananthe's been putting better flowers in the candles for several months, our awareness has all grown. We can communicate with each other again through the walls, and we are all in agreement. I did not know that. Safanth winks at me again. So, Chananthe, we will play a game of pretend with Kiri and Sapoya and Kothal the Clever. And if the monks are very, very good and stay silent, afterwards I will let you say their question and I will answer it. I blush again. Kiri is as tall as a mountain and we must invite him to dinner. But he's too big to fit. Ah, says Savanth. We must feed him a magic potion of rambutan peels, steeped in river water and sprinkled with spices under a full moon. It will let him choose his size however he likes. I hear the scritch-scritch of a monk writing down our entire conversation. I giggle. How wonderful! I will make fish amok served in coconut shells. I move to the side and pretend to debone fish to put in pretend bowls. You must tell me all the steps you take for fish amok, Chanante. You must be very clever to make such a complicated and delicious dish. The face is smiling. The monks all look like they have each swallowed a large fishbone, and it is stuck in their throats. But they stay silent. It takes an hour of pretend dinner preparations before we get to the question. The more the pink-centered frangipani candles are used, the longer the faces stay awake. They keep me company during the day, and I can feel the rumbling vibrations in the stones at night when they talk to each other. I've given them all names, all 37 of them, but Safanth is still my favorite. The monks have learned what they need to do to keep the faces cooperative, and they treat me well. My hip will always be a little stiff, but the rest of me is healed. There are 11,652 tiny soldiers carved in marble relief on the outer walls that ring Temple Tokpathon, 17 of which used to have names, though I barely remember anyone other than Kiri. 
I don't need them anymore. Inside Temple Tokbathon, there are 37 friends, and I am not alone. And welcome back. Wasn't that fun? I mean, of course it was. Effie's stories always are. You should go back and check out the other two stories we've run. Podcastle 430, Thunder God in Therapy, and Podcastle 368, Dinkley's Ice Cream. And then maybe even check Escape Pod 552 for Red Chip Blue Chip. You'll be grinning at the end of all of them, I promise. Effie says this about this story... There's an old logic puzzle about knights and knaves. Knights always tell the truth and knaves always lie. You face two identical doors, one of which leads to where you want to go and the other leads to certain death. A knight and a knave guard the doors, but you don't know which is which and you may only ask one question to figure out which door to take. There are subsequent puzzles of increasing complexity with large numbers of knights and knaves. After a trip to Cambodia, where ancient temples have massive stone faces of the Buddha on the walls, I wondered what would happen if logic and its puzzles would be turned into a religion, and what it would look like if it too had stone faces. And remembering the sarcastic stone faces from the movie Labyrinth, it occurred to me that they might not be down with the entire exercise. That was our show for this week. On behalf of everyone at Podcastle, our slushers, Aaron Jiwa, Aidan Doyle, Matt Dovey, Eleanor R. Wood, Crystal Claxon, Raj K. Kapal, Stephen T. Caps, and Stefani Cox, our audio engineer, Peter Wood, our forum moderator, Otikat, our assistant editor, Setsu Uzume, and your glorious co editors, Jen Albert and Khalida Muhammad Ali. Thanks for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week, as we always are. So until then, this is your host, Matt Dovey, reminding you that there are some answers in life that logic cannot give you but good friends can. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives, 4.0 International Licence. That means you can share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. We rely on you to keep Podcastle flying. You can donate as little as $2 a month, or any amount you like as a one-off. Just go to podcastle.org and find the supporters section there on the right-hand side. Or search for the new Escape Artist Patreon to support all four casts. And now I leave you with the words of a very famous, very loved logician, who nonetheless recognised the value and importance of friendship above all. I have been, and ever shall be, your friend. <laughs>